I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is your host, CEO Chuck Sexton, and I am joined today by our two co-founders, Chad Chancellor and Alex Metzger, because it is our eighth anniversary. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. I can't believe it's been eight years, 2014. It's amazing to me, because when we all first got together, we had that headline in the Paducah newspaper at 28. Now we're all just old men. (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah, we said... uh... We were the three people in Paducah that did economic development and said we've placed our economy in the hands of the 28-year-olds. So, yeah. You know, what's amazing to me is uh, it, back on my career, so I was in Paducah as economic developer for four years, and I was in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee for two. So really only six years. I was in Mobile, Alabama for two years, and that's really where I learned the business. So we've already been in business eight years now, twice as long as I was in Paducah, four times as long as I was in Lawrenceburg or Mobile. So if you think about it like that, it kind of, looking back, it kind of shocks me. And, you know, I read some statistics. Most small businesses, I can't remember what it is, but only like 20 or 30% make it eight years. And so uh, if we close tomorrow, we've been a success story. Not that we intend to close tomorrow, but sometimes I had to remind myself of that. Well, I guess uh, my my stint in economic development was 12 years, uh, close to it before jumping on board with you all here. And I'm looking forward to the future. But what I want to do today is talk a little bit on the podcast about how things have changed. You know, what? Um, let's talk first. What, what was things like back when you all started Next Move Group versus how things look today? Give me a comparison between the two. Well, you know, it's funny. We probably, so we got site selection clients right out of the bat. Polymer uh, Logistics was one. Sterling Packages was one. We did some work with Teletech Call Center within our first six months. So uh, on the site selection side, uh, it's probably not changed much other than that. We have much larger customers. Uh, but as far as the deal flow, we do about as much of that as we ever did. 
but now, you know, you just got us a $14 billion customer. We're doing an eight, $8 billion a year steel mill right now. So the, the, that has grown, but I don't know that the, that the pace of it has grown. And we always had economic development clients, but what's really changed, I think, is the executive searches. I mean, it took us probably six months to get our first one. You know, it's hard to get people to hire you to executive search. You never done one. <laughs> that is a, that is a hard thing to do. And I, I vividly remember getting our first one and, um, and we actually sold our first executive search for five thousand dollars, and told them we'd give them their money back if it didn't work, just to get one. You know, now those things are like thirty thousand. But anyway, uh, now I'm not sure that we don't do more executive searches than any firm in America when it comes to economic development. Uh, we're probably number one in that space in terms of volume, and it took us six months to get our first one. So if you look back at our first year, we might have done two or three. Now we liable to do thirty or forty, so that's what's really changed as far as our business. Not only not only that, you're talking about the scale of our site selection clients, the the scale of our executive search clients has has changed a lot too. I mean, you know, now we're doing, you know, huge, large regional towns, regional groups, uh, you know, the Cheyenne, Wyoming's of the world. We're, we're we're doing big ones versus the the little towns in Mississippi and Tennessee where we got our start. So that's also scaled. Um, over the last eight years, I would say. I'll tell you what got us to going on that, I think, was to Cheyenne, Wyoming, because it's state capital. Uh, people just recognize that, and that's a long way from the south where our strength is. And then the World Trade Center in New Orleans hired us to do their CEO search. And the World Trade Center actually started in New Orleans. It did not start in New York, as many people would think. It started in New Orleans. And I think just putting that World Trade Center logo on your stuff, everybody recognizes it. And those two really got us to going. And then we now have done such wide geographies. I mean, from Maine to uh, Washington State and all in between. We kind of filled in the whole country that way. Also, the the staff has changed quite a bit, Chuck. I'll say that. Uh, I remember Chad and I being up, filling out uh rfis and spreadsheets till three or four in the morning for teletech that call center client and and now we have staff like you and ivy to help us do the work yeah th there are times uh at least once now we've been up till three in the morning <laughs> to that but that's part of doing it that's part of the passion and i think what's important too to make sure the listeners understand is you know our clients may have grown the number of clients may have grown the size of the clients may have grown but the passion of the organization and, and each of us has stayed the same. We want small to mid-sized communities to be successful. We want small to mid-sized companies to be successful. And one thing I've made sure to reiterate to folks, we may have two very large site selection clients right now, uh, among other site selection clients who are smaller, but even our large site selection clients want to be in small to mid-sized markets. That's where they want to be. And of course, that makes us even more proud to represent those companies. I think, uh, you know, to me, the the career field has changed. Economic development has changed a little bit in the last uh, eight years since uh, you all started Next Move Group in, in ways and in ways it hasn't. What do you all see as the big changes in economic development? Alex does more of our executive searches, so I'll let him answer this. But I will say this. I have now been through the economic recession in 08. Uh, and I remember how that was. And the, the little mini one we had with, that we self-inflicted with COVID. And now it appears that we're headed for another recession. And I have always found economic developers have to get a lot more aggressive 
in recessions. And you actually can make more money and be more respected by winning in recessions than you can when times are good. You know, there are areas now that aren't offered a lot of incentives for certain projects that I predict two years from now, they're going to be back doing it again, being aggressive again, because I've just seen what happened. You know, I, I got my first big economic development job in 2008. I got to Lawrenceburg, Tennessee in 2008. Well, you all remember what happened <laughs> in 2008 and nine. We landed three plants in that little town. And that really set up my whole career. It, if you'd have did that now in good times, you might not have been thought much. You know, you, well, they're doing their job. Uh, but in a recession, the economic developers really have a time to shine. And based on everything I'm seeing from our manufacturing side, we are hearing from power companies across this country that it's going to take 36 months to get electric infrastructure to certain places. I'm talking transformers. I'm not talking the huge lines. And I mean, across the country, not one power company or another one. We're hearing this over. We're here in 12 to 24 months to get steel. Our supply chain is totally broken. The recession is coming. As inflation goes up, people are going to spend less money. So the recession is coming. So I actually think that now's the time for economic developers to shine. That's what happened in 08 and 09. I think we're about to see that again. Alex, as far as the searches, what, what do you think of the changes in the industry? Well, the... Uh... Overall, in economic development as a whole, the main change in eight years has been the adaptation of technology. I mean, it's it's really been something to see from eight years ago when we're filling out RFIs and, you know, traveling two weeks in a row doing site visits. And now all that's online. You've got 3D tours of communities and buildings. And, and that aspect has, has definitely changed as far as executive searches. Uh you know, I wouldn't say much changed from eight years until COVID. And and as Chad said, kind of self-inflicted COVID pandemic that we went through, the executive search side has really changed since then. There are so many more opportunities for uh, work from home, for online businesses. Um, people can be so much more, so they kind of value uh, working from home and in communities they like more. There's There's a lot less, I would say, applicants for executive searches, more people that want to move than there used to be pre-COVID. I'm not sure that's really an eight-year trend as opposed as um, really in the last two years. Now, we're still getting the the top of the line A-list candidates for a lot of executive searches, but we used to see 30 or 40 applicants for search. Now might be, you know, 15 to 20. And people just, um, for whatever reason, do not move or want to switch jobs as much as they used to, I would say. Well, I tell you, though, uh... Now is the most important time ever for economic developers. And I thought that after COVID with reshoring our stuff, I actually had a statistic that we put on our new show a few weeks ago. 90% of small to mid-sized manufacturing CEOs say they're bringing production back from China right now. 90%. Industrial construction is up 116% this year from last year. This is a Bloomberg article from two weeks ago. Uh, as that comes more and more back, the economic developers who are prepared are going to win. But but preparedness now, the economy is totally breaking down. And I hate to be an alarmist, but if you travel as much as I do, I mean, in the last uh, three weeks, I've been in, I don't know, 10 different states from North Dakota to Florida. Everywhere you go, you're hearing problems with housing. You're hearing problems with child care, uh, workforce, so on and so forth. Everywhere you go. I mean, it's a teetotal breakdown. And unfortunately, I'm seeing this looking at it. It's nothing I need. Well, now economic developers are going to have to spend as much time preparing their child care and finding daycare centers and finding houses for people as they used to on industrial sites. 
I can't believe I'm saying that. I never would have thought I would be you know, sitting in 2015 when the economy was rocking. I never, and this is not a political statement. I never would have thought I would have said that. But I'm telling you right now, where we used to think economic developers need to have prepared sites and prepared workforce, they still need that. They now have got to really consider daycare. They have got to really consider housing, $200,000 houses. There is a shortage in this country of housing for school teachers. Honest to God, if a school teacher marries another school teacher and, and, and they make 80,000 a year combined, there's not a lot of places in this country that have houses for them. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing this from Florida to North Dakota. So uh, economic developers now, when you're preparing yourself, it's way bigger than it used to be in terms of just getting yourself a good site. And, and as this whole economy breaks down, and it's breaking down, the economic developers out there that get a good handle on all this are going to naturally win projects because uh, reshoring is happening, according to Bloomberg. It is happening right now. So the communities that get themselves prepared are going to win, and those that don't uh, may continue to struggle. Yeah, I think you're right. The, you know, one of the things we've seen an uptick in uh, as far as services on our end goes is uh, site feasibility assessments and uh, interest in those. But you're right about the additional things that economic developers have to be worried about. And one of the things that I'm concerned about uh, for metro areas, but not as much for the rural areas and why rural areas and small to mid-sized markets need to be more prepared, is all of these large plant announcements, whether it's semiconductor plants, chip plants, the battery plants, EV all those related industries and what we're seeing from site selection side now is companies, even larger ones, the 400, 500 job ones, want to be in away from where those plants are landing because they know that they're going to struggle finding the labor that they need. So I think it's even more important for the rural areas to be focused on those items. Well, uh, what's really got me to thinking in the last two months, I have given public speeches or board trainings or whatever, literally from Florida where everybody's moving. I mean, I moved to Florida. So, you know, we, we do not have a population loss in Florida. The whole country's moving to Florida, to Texas, to North Dakota, to Missouri and Kansas. And in Missouri and Kansas, I'm talking from downtown Kansas City out into the rural areas. You would not think that Florida would have the same challenges as Kansas City, as North Dakota. They do. Everywhere I go in Florida says we don't have enough housing. For the working person, somebody like my father was about the $15 an hour person. Everywhere I go in Florida, it says we don't have enough daycare. See, I fly to North Dakota, guess what I hear? Same thing. I fly to Kansas City, guess what I hear? Same thing. So it does not matter what part of the country you're in. There's a breakdown at that level for whatever the reason. Well, and not only that, Chad, we've been doing executive search. We've probably done 25 executive searches the last three or four months, and every single town has the same issue with housing. Uh, you know, we just did one in New York. We've done one in Colorado. It's, it's exactly what you're saying. So much so that that people are being very flexible on the on the six month mandatory moving requirements because they feel that they feel that economic developers can't find middle income housing in their towns. And, and so they're being more acceptable to rental properties and different things on that note, because it's no matter the geography, it is an issue. But think about this with inflation and now a two by four costs more than it ever did. A nail costs more than that concrete costs more than that. And you can't even get it in a timely fashion. So how, how are we going to fix this housing crisis? I mean, I'm saying this as somebody, I don't know that I have the answer. 
but but I'm telling you, economic developers need to have the answer. L last week in Missouri, we we kind of almost chuckled and said, "Did we ever think we would be having to be come up with childcare and housing?" You know, we didn't really figure that was part of economic development. That was more community development. Chad, I remember yeah. one of our one of our first site selection clients when we first started eight years ago wanted to put a daycare in their facility in Alabama when they were looking, and you didn't know why in the world they wanted to do that. No, I, I laughed at that. I laughed and told them they were wrong. Look how uh -huh. smart they were. I was the idiot in that one. They should have done it. Maybe they did. Uh, yes, but I'm just saying it worries you. It, you know, I have a very unique perspective because I, I travel so much and do all of this. But, but when I'm hearing the same thing, 2,000 miles apart, I mean, it does worry you. And so uh, if I were an economic developer again, I would absolutely be spending as much time thinking about housing and daycare as I would getting the big enough water line to my industrial park. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but th th that is the big change that I have seen. And Chuck, I don't see the easy way out of it. I wish to good. This is not a political statement. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I wish to goodness I could say, y'all go do this. But the facts are in housing, it costs more now to build that house than ever. And the developer still got to get the house financed. You know, they can make more money with the same crews building a different type house than they can for what I would call the patio home, the starter home. You know what I'm saying? In terms of daycare, if one kid gets sick in a daycare, most places they shut the whole day, you know, with COVID, they have to shut it down for, say, a week or whatever. And that collapses their entire financial model. So they're just better off to, to not have the liability and close the daycare. So now you have people in communities, if you have two children, you'd have to to make $25, $30 an hour to be able to afford the daycare. And I'm again, what's alarming to me is this is the problem in Florida where people are moving. So we have the demand here. See, usually when you have a big enough demand, a supply will create itself. I'm telling you, the demand is in Florida. Look at the pot, and we still don't have the supply. For some reason, the supply is not meeting the demand in housing and daycare. And as an economic developer, this is a huge problem that we're all going to have to try to solve. Yeah, I agree. And I think that uh, it's going to be one of those issues that as the economy continues to to get worse, you're going to have a longer lead time on getting some of these issues solved, because then you'll have people who won't want to have even less reasons to put money into these types of developments. They're going to hang on to their money. They're going to do something else with that money in the, in the meantime. I, I'm going to give you one more. I was in Tennessee in June or July. I can't remember. But I won't say where. But as we all know, Tennessee's growing tremendously. If you look at the stats, Tennessee, Texas, Florida are what's growing, right? I was in Tennessee doing a board training. I guess it was in June. And i never forget because we ended up putting our recommendations. One of the thoughts that this board had is maybe we need to quit developing industrial property and start developing residential. Now, they didn't decide to do it that day while we were sitting there. But they had tremendous talks around that. And I'm a, you know, I was raised on primary job recruitment, uh, manufacturing recruitment. I mean, that's just what I believe. So I'm shocked that we're seeing this. But my point is, even in Tennessee, where there's fast growth, they're saying the same thing as they are in Florida and other places. Well, what do you think now? Let's get back to the to the organization. We've talked a lot about, you know, some of the changes we've seen and some of the big issues that are facing everybody. So if we look eight years from now, we, we've had a lot of changes in the organization and economic development. What do you think things will look like in another eight years? As far as next move group or the yeah. economy? Or next move group. Next... Comment on the economy, so, too. So, so I think that what you're really going to see uh, is, is uh, 
more growth in our executive searches because of all of the peripheral items that touch economic development. I mean, within just the last week, we've been asked to propose on a city finance position uh, because economic development is important to this particular city. We've been asked to propose on a planning development district. Now, we've done some of those before, but we haven't done as many of them as economic development. You know, we're getting asked to propose on various stuff. We have now helped the manufacturer. So I think within our business, uh, you know, staffing is such a big problem nationwide that I would predict that uh, that our executive search business is going to grow, not necessarily from more economic development chamber searches, which we'll do inherently, but but from all the peripheral, you know, college, workforce recruiting. Those people need to hire people. And, and more and more people need to hire real practitioners, not just academics, you know, and we have a way of going out and finding the practitioners. So I think that'll be a big growth for us. Uh, we've, we've got two big site selection projects we're doing now. We'll get those things landed. And we have a whole strategy to go get lots more of that market. So that ought to grow for us as well. I'd say we're uh, going to look a lot older and have a lot more gray hairs, Chuck, than eight <laughs> years from now. That's for sure. Speak for yourself. I shaved my head, buddy. <laughs> well, well, Alex and I are getting some gray hair. Uh, we saw each other for the first time last week in months. And uh, he had a good bit more than the last time I saw him, which is funny because he used to blame me for his gray hair. But I hadn't seen him in three or four months and he had more of it. So it occurs to me that I'm not the problem. I still blame you. We still talk seven, eight times a day and email back and forth. That's uh, uh, I'm I getting gray headed, too. I'm getting, I'm really great if I, if I don't shave, if I get a beard, my, and that's really kind of embarrassing. I don't mind the gray in my hair, so I have to keep a shave or else I have a gray on my beard. Yeah, I'm the same way. It seems like every, every day there's a little more gray in my beard. And I don't, I don't understand that, but uh, it is what it is. I had to shave my head eventually. It, it I, I held on to that rat's nest a little too long. So, <laughs> uh, a lot look. of people compliment your shaved head to yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say you wear it well. Yeah. So you wear it well. A lot of people compliment that to me. Well, I've been told a few times I look younger now than I did before. So that's that's at least one good thing. Look, I want to take a quick break, uh, hear from one of our sponsors. And when I get back, I want us to start talking a little bit about the movement and what's occurred with it over the last few years and where we think that's going. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. And we're back here on the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast with our co-founders, Alex Metzger and Chad Chancellor. 
And uh, we've been talking about it being eight-year anniversary of Next Move Group, and we want to talk a little bit now about our movement membership, how important that is to us, and um, and, and talk about some of the things that we're going to do uh, to sort of honor that. And uh, Chad and Alex, uh, why don't you kind of brief us on on where did the movement membership come from to begin with? Well, yeah, I can take that one. Um, we we were inundated with questions all over the nation, whether it's executive search clients, towns, et cetera, economic developers reaching out and asking kind of similar questions. And uh, you know, Chad and I were having a conversation once about how can we help the profession and help these people on a much wider, more broader scale and make it scalable. And we had tossed some ideas around back and forth and hadn't really come up with anything. And 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 then all of a sudden, we're in Nashville and the whole world ends because of the pandemic. And uh, unfortunately, Chad and I, I mean, maybe fortunately, Chad and I got quarantined together. We were in Nashville, so he came up to St. Louis. You all might remember because of Mardi Gras, New Orleans was hit very hard at the start of, of the pandemic. So Chad and, and me got stuck in an apartment together for, for three months. And, Two uh, months. I couldn't stand three. Well, it, it sounded, it, it felt more like a year, those, those two or three months. But so we kind of... Uh, put our heads together and came back up with this membership program and a way to really scalable help as many people as possible across the profession and, and grow it. Not only to, to help the reshoring of jobs and, and, and grow, grow jobs in small to mid-sized communities, but also as a way to really help the economic development professional go through what they were going to be going through whenever the pandemic ended. Yeah, so uh, Alex gets credit for thinking of the movement. I've ended up doing all our shows, but it was his... It was his idea. And I don't remember how uh, I knew that we needed to come up with some way to generate recurring revenue. Uh, we, we looked at our economic development newsletter list and we had like 4,000 uh, what they call five-star subscribers, meaning they open most all of our emails. And I remember putting on Alex's to-do list, we got to come up with a way to monetize that 4,000, but I really didn't know how to do it. And he came up with the idea of the movement membership. And this is where we were very, very lucky. We were discussing doing the movement membership in January of 2020 before the COVID hit. Well, then the COVID hit and everybody then went to needing online resources because you couldn't go to conferences and meetings and all. And we were perfectly prepared for it. We didn't have to, we didn't have to, set up, uh, to wait at all. And honestly, I don't know that we'd have ever done it. I don't know when Alex came up with it that I thought it was that good of an idea. I didn't think it was a terrible idea, but I didn't think it was a great one either. I was a five out of 10 on it. I don't know that I would have set and recorded. See, when we first started, we must have put out 20 videos the first day because I said we can't start with one. I don't know that I would have slowed myself down enough because you had to build the PowerPoints, uh, film the thing. I, I'm way better at it now. Back then, you'd make all kind of mistakes and have to cut it and edit it all. You know, now I'm used to it. I don't know that I'd ever done that without COVID hitting. But right as we're discussing this, COVID hit. And he's right. We get trapped in St. Louis for two months. And so we, I just go record a video every day. And we built out our, uh, our whole website and push go. And, you know, you, you don't know if a soul's going to join or not. And I'm telling you right now, we have had people who joined the first day that are still members now. Two years later, to, we did that in June of 2020. And our business has grown by about three times since we did it. Not just from that revenue. It's provided good cash flow for us. But our members, you know, they'll tell other people about it. It's really helped us grow our word of mouth. So now, two years later, we've got 236 members. In June, we ran a special 
for our movement anniversary. Well, June was our movement second anniversary, whereas August is our whole company's eighth anniversary. And so in June, when we ran that special, I think we had 203 members. Now we got 236. We have got that thing organized to where there's uh, videos just for economic development board members. So you can go straight there. And as a member, uh, feel free to share it with them. Just I tell people, don't pick a password that's like your bank password. <laughs> this way you can give it to your chairman. Make it one, two, three, four, or whatever. We've got videos for elected officials. Some of the videos are five minutes long. Our most popular five-minute one is why does confidentiality matter? Let us be the bad guys telling your board they can't run tell all this. Not you. We did that one because every executive search we do, what do you think the board tells us? Well, that last economic developer was too confidential. Well, there's a reason they were that confidential. You know, we're building this to support the profession. But then we'll have an hour-long video in there that tells the board everything to do. But we launched that in June of 2020. We have now put out one video or podcast every week, pretty much every week. We might take off for Christmas. But, I mean, I remember putting one out on New Year's Eve about goal setting. So pretty much every week now for over – two years so now we must have a hundred pieces of content in there you can go in there and search you can search resume tips up they'll pop you can search how to do an rfp up it'll pop how big a water line do i need so when we started it we just put out videos every week in chronological order and then uh, two years later you look up and you say my gosh we've got 20 videos for boards we've got 10 for elected officials let's organize these in a fashion to where we can do it. So what we did is we raised the price in June because we've had a bunch of people been with us from day one, literally day one. Bismarck, North Dakota joined the first day, and we're now doing day it one. You remember You remember hitting send on it that morning? We were sitting there. We decided to go to breakfast. We didn't know it was going to flop. We put so many hours into that over the last two months, and uh, we hit send, and probably six, seven minutes passed before we got our first – yeah, uh, we hit San and, went, yep, and went to breakfast at the Hotel St. Louis. And I was a little nervous because what a failure this would be. We had spent hours. We had nothing else to do in the pandemic. St. Louis was hours. We spent, we spent hundreds of hours between building out the, the website infrastructure, the marketing, planning all those videos. But, doing the but, but I will say this. When Alex watched the first video I did, I, I think it was on how to land deals in rural America. Uh, he, he And I had him watch it before we edited it. This is the first time I really thought it. He watched it and he said, this is very, very good. He said, we need to charge more than we, he said, this is really a, a very good. And he's not one to give compliments. Especially you know, very, you. very rarely will he say anything good, you know. And so then I realized, well, maybe he's right. And sure enough, you know what we found? The less you charge, the less people will buy. It's unbelievable. You know, uh, we would put out videos that I'd have bought in a heartbeat for $19. Wouldn't anybody buy it? And then they'll buy the 2000 one. You know, and that's just how people are. So we've had to learn along our way. But uh, but, we, but we've had 236 members, and we've probably sold videos to 600 people, just somebody that would buy one at a time. And now people know us for that. Last week, I get in Kansas City, get up to give a talk, and up comes this lady. She says, oh, I know you from all the videos. And so it's just helped us grow our brand and really been a tremendous, tremendous thing that we did. And now it excites me because it can help economic developers grow their profession. Right now, we're doing a series on how to double your small business's revenue. See, not ever shows for the economic developer, but it's so they can use it to build rapport in town. So an economic developer can send that to ever small business in their town. If they get criticized, you're not doing enough to help the, yeah. We hear this a lot in executive searches. Well, that economic developer just chases big fish. They don't do enough to help our small companies. We hear that all the time. This is something they can do. 
Goldman Sachs got a hold of us in 2017 and put us through a small business accelerator. We tripled our, uh, we probably quadrupled our revenue since we did that. What I'm doing in these lessons is teaching what they taught us in five simple to understand lessons. Theirs was nine, but I like to simplify it too complicated. These are five lessons. And if your small businesses watch it, it will help them. Our goal is to help them double their revenue. So now we're putting out shows not only for you, but also to help your small businesses. What's interesting to me, I got to do my first uh, movement show uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if y'all even remember this or not, but when you were thinking of the idea of doing the movement membership, y'all reached out, y'all texted me and asked me if I thought it was a good idea. And I was like you, I probably thought it was a four out of a 10 idea. But now I've seen how much people use it. And it's not just economic developers that use it. I worked with a mayor uh, last week in a small town who was just trying to get this one video, trying to get this one video, finally got him taken care of. Um, and what was it this morning? Uh, somebody else uh, got that same video from the same town. And so, you know, people see it, they remember it, they utilize these all the time. And confidentiality, you're 100% right. It seems like every economic developer that's reached out to us lately for strategic planning or whatever it might be has talked about, hey, can you also talk to our board about confidentiality? We're having a real problem with it. Well, mm -hmm. I, I, a compliment I got paid last week, and I, I the person may not have meant it as a compliment. Uh, but she said, Chad, I love your videos because they're so simplistic. You, you, you take what's very complicated and I can understand it. And I can even show it with my mayor who does not understand anything about it. They're simplistic. Well, I took that as a great compliment. She might not have meant it that way. But I do think that a lot of people have responded to us that way. You know, you go to a conference. I used to go to a conference and I'd write down all these notes and I'd leave the conference excited and ready to go. But I'd get home and a week or two later, I'd get my notes out. I wouldn't exactly remember what the speaker said. Well, see, these videos, you watch them whenever you want to. I mean, if, if you're working on your resume on a Saturday afternoon, you go in there and watch the resume tip one. If you're working on RFP on a Thursday, you watch it, you know. We've got in there how to read financial statements. You're not going to believe this. I got a business degree from Mississippi State University. I believe I graduated with like a 3.8. In other words, I was pretty smart. I really did not know how to truly read and analyze financial statements until 2017 when Goldman Sachs taught me how to do it. I graduated Mississippi State in 2004 with a business degree. And I did not really understand what you really wanted to look for until 2017 when Goldman Sachs taught it to me. Well, now we've got that in there. So as an economic developer, you can look at the ratios you need to look at to determine if you want to offer incentives to a company or not. And one of the things that, that we were reliving starting the movement, I guess the first three or four months in, we were putting out and still do a piece of content every week. You know, I was... I was starting to get worried about content ideas. I was like, in years, year, next year, uh, 18 months from now, two years from now, how are we going to keep coming up with new content to do? And one of the one of the greatest things about the movement, from my perspective, is that now uh, those 236 members, they're all submitting content ideas weekly. I mean, we get we get once a week at least a, a movement member to give us a new content idea about a show to make, and and that's really been shocking to see. I mean, we probably got ideas for for 25, 30 shows just sitting in our email address that, that we can do when ready. And that's the part of the movement that I didn't expect. I was a little worried how we could keep those content ideas up. And uh, I'm really grateful for all the movement members and the community that it's that it's built and, and the, uh, the way they submit ideas, think of things that would help them in their town and will help somebody else in another town and really grow the, the content base. So when Alex came up with it, I thought it was a five out of 10 idea. 
But I obviously thought it was good enough to go record 20 shows. Well, we didn't have anything else to do. You wouldn't work out during the pandemic. so I did work out during the pandemic and gain weight because I wasn't on the keto, unfortunately. The keto is where I lost my weight, but that's a different story. Um, But anyway, I I don't know that I would have thought it would. I'd say the day we launched it and we started getting interest, I thought it was a 7 out of 10 idea. I'm telling you two years later, it was a 15 out of 10 idea. I mean, it, it was, we could run our whole company on it. I mean, I, I'd hate to. We'd probably have to lay people off. But, I mean, we absolutely could make enough money to survive off just the movement because you'd have time to do, do even more stuff with it. And Alex is right. Now people tell us, somebody want to show them fundraising. We don't do fundraising. So we went and had Andy Coe with Convergent Nonprofit to do it on. So, you know, when people have these ideas, we go out and bring folks in to do it. So, But we raise our price because it's not right. To people to get into it now to pay the same thing as our first people because they were there from day one and now if you get in it today you've got every video we ever put out hundreds of them uh, so what we did is raised our price in june uh to where that would even out but in august for our mo- movement anniversary uh, for our sorry for our company's anniversary we offered it for 50 percent off we raised the price to 494 well now you can get in for 247 a month August only. Now, our original people pay 183 a month. So it's still not as cheap as they got in. And I don't ever want it to be. We got to be loyal to them. But you can get in now at 247 a month, where if you wait till September the 1st, it's $497 a month. Or sorry, $494. And Chad, real quick, talk a little bit about our renewal rate. I know uh, we had uh, two today for the annual membership since three today. So, yes. Uh, the members who have signed up annual, so there's an annual option where you get two months free. And if you go in there and play around with it, you'll see that when you go to sign up. The members who have joined annually, we are 100% renewal, 100%, with the exception of Kentucky Lake, where Josh Tubbs resigned, so he's no longer there, but we're doing the search for them. So uh, in all candor, uh, that's the only one that didn't renew, but that's because they don't have an economic developer and we're hiring them one. So I assume they'll renew when they get their new person. We have had 100% retention of our annual members. Three renewed today, one in Tennessee, one in Missouri, because it's August the 1st when we're recording this. It's the first day of the month. Three of them renewed today. I believe West Virginia was the other one. And, uh, of course, now we have you, the state of Florida joined uh, two three weeks ago for all of their rural counties in Florida. So now Chad, we have – I'm thinking we've had – we probably need to figure it up uh, – over 90% renewal rates from our monthly members. I can think of, of two that dropped because they left their position to take on new jobs. Uh, one of them even credited our, 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 our movement videos to helping them get a bigger job. That lady in t- Texas, she said this resume tips got her her new job. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So of our members who pay on a monthly fee, I believe ninety five percent is our retention rate. There, we have lost a couple there who got new jobs, went on to new ones, which makes me think we ought to call them up and try to get them to join again. But yes, even that has been probably a ninety five percent retention rate. There's not much any of any kind of membership program that I know of that has that type of retention rate. And to me, it speaks to the quality of the content, the assistance that it gives to economic developers and elected officials. So um, certainly I, I, you know, obviously I have a reason to, to be an advocate of it now, but uh, I always have been. And, uh, and I think that the content's going to continue to improve uh, in uh, quantity and quality as we as we go forward. And we'll be right back.
Hello, everybody. And in this week's Executive Search Spotlight, we are headed to Port Arthur, Texas. This is the Economic Development Corporation of Port Arthur, and they are looking for a new executive director. Salary range is going to be 120 to 160,000 based on experience. Remember, no income tax in Texas. Uh, we're going to take applications all the way up through August 5th. And for those of you all who do not really know where Port Arthur is located, it is right on the Gulf, East Texas, right on the Louisiana-Texas state line. So you're about two hours from Lafayette, probably about an hour and a half from Houston and sitting right on the Gulf. Beautiful, beautiful area. So if you'd like some more information, reach out to Brittany McCoy or visit our website, thenextmovegroup.com backslash Port Arthur for more information. What else do we want to discuss here on our eighth anniversary as a company? Is there any other last thoughts that either one of you have? Well, has, if people are listening. State, has Mississippi State beat Kentucky in really anything in the last eight years? Uh, we beat you in football last year. The year before that, we beat you in the SEC tournament. <laughs> do you not remember we were sitting there at center court when Mississippi State beat Kentucky, ruined your season, ended your season? The year before that, we won the national championship in baseball. So what has what has Kentucky beat us? Oh, there? you do. You have beaten us in baseball. So pretty much twice in eight years, you've beaten us. So once in football and once in basketball. We you're beat you in football every year in Mississippi State, and mm -hmm. once in a while we win at Kentucky. When is the last time Kentucky won in Starkville? Uh, probably the last time Mississippi State's won at Kentucky, actually. And our foot, our basketball coach Ben Hallam was so pitiful, we fired him, but he beat you in the SEC tournament. I but mean, I, I would say, I would say, as we conclude, uh, obviously, if people are listening to this, they uh, they either uh, are a client of ours or they have been referred. We have a lot of people refer us business, have never done business with us just because they like it. So that's very good. So if they're listening to this, somehow or another, they probably uh, like something that we're putting out. We, we've had over 500 clients. It's probably 600 now. I hadn't counted it lately. So we've had five or 600 clients since 2014. So we uh, we say thank you to all of them. I think that this thing has shocked us more than more than we would have thought. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what my first expert. It started slower than I thought. Uh, 2014 and 2015, we really uh, we made money, but we we didn't do a whole lot. And then then we kind of grew after that. And then we really grew in 2017. Then we really grew in 2020 when the COVID hit and we were doing the movement. So. Um, uh, for all of those out there, though, we now do business across the country and in Brazil, Germany, Israel, Canada. Uh, so I just say thank you to a lot of those people. I mean, uh, a lot of people have told me that, uh, you know, well, last week, I, I don't mind saying this, Mitch Robinson, a friend of mine in Salina, Kansas, he introduced me to his board and he said, this is a fellow that I knew for years that I remember when he started his own business, I thought he was crazy. He said, but now I think he was crazy like a fox. He <laughs> said, I can't tell you how many people have said that. So a lot of people believed in us early on. Clay Walker was our first ever client, Kingsport, Tennessee. A lot of people believed in us early on. And and Dave Ramsey says it takes like seven years to become an overnight success. That's basically what happened for us. After seven years, we were overnight success. Well, I would just like to second that and thank everybody that's helped us, supported us in any way, all of our clients, all of our staff members, anybody that's given us referrals and all our friends out there across the nation. Uh, not only in the economic development and chamber space, but all the board members we've met and everywhere. Uh, one of the neatest parts about this job is, is you know, I could have trouble in almost any town in America and, and know somebody I could reach out to and call and, and have a relationship with. And so very grateful and want to 
thank every one of you all that's helped us along the way. Yeah, let me say that. That's a good point. That's actually a great way to end. I won't say who he was because he's probably one of the people that wouldn't want credit. But we, uh, my best friend's wife came down with stage four breast cancer and got diagnosed in June and wasn't real confident in the, uh, di the diagnosis and the treatment that had been presented to her in Alabama. And I called a friend of mine over near Houston. And again, I won't say who he is because he might not want anybody to know her and told him the situation and said, is there any way you can get her into MD Anderson? She got a one-year-old. She's like 37, got an eight or nine-year-old and a one-year-old and uh, stage four cancer, breast cancer to liver. I said, is it any way you can help us? I thought of him because we had just sent him a proposal the day before. So his name flashed up on my email address. The next day, he had MD Anderson, who he knew, I don't know. He had MD Anderson get up with her. And two or three days later, she was sitting in Houston, Texas for her treatments. And guess what is the first thing the doctor said after they did their test? He said, I'm telling you, thank God you came here. We have a cure for you. That's what he said. And Alex is right. Uh, through our connections we've had, even our Mardi Gras party, people come to that and we end up getting to know them. we may never do business with them. But now we have connections across the country and it's not anything about the money. I mean, uh, we, we don't do it for that. I mean, we do it really. You heard it probably earlier when I told you how worried I am over daycare and housing. I mean, I'm worried about the economy as a whole. But, but this just happened a few weeks ago. She's getting her chemotherapy now. And uh, and that's just from connections that we've made through economic. Most economic developers are very well connected in their communities to the powers that be. And that's just a little, uh, you know, that's a way to end. If I had stayed in Paducah, Kentucky as the economic developer, I'm liable to still be there making all kind of money for all I know. That's a connection I wouldn't have had. And it's these connections nationwide and really worldwide now in many respects uh, that we have built over these eight years that, that really make it all worth it. Well, I agree. And, and I appreciate the two of you for uh, for bringing me on board uh, to help keep pushing the organization forward. I think that there's uh, a lot more to come. There's a lot of growth that's going to occur. I think we have a great rock star team and we're going to keep doing things uh, that are going to help the economic development professional, help the economy, uh, especially in the rural parts of uh, the United States. And uh, I appreciate you two taking your time out of the day to come and join me on the podcast. And so that you know, I've got to see your Mississippi State hat on. Not everybody can see it, obviously, because we're uh, doing this uh, audio. But I'm going to have a former UK football player on as a uh, as a guest here pretty soon. I'm going to try to have him on before you do your uh, college football preseason uh, podcast on here. So, oh, well, good. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm starting to get together our list for our college football uh, preseason show that we'll do. We skipped it in the COVID year, I guess it was, and everybody complained. Come to find out, that's one of the best shows we had. So uh, <laughs> I also got on my St. Alex don't like it when I wear my Mississippi State hat and my St. Louis shirt because they don't match. Maroon and red don't really go together. <laughs> but the Cardinals are three games back, and they got the Cubs this week and the Yankees. Uh, so this is some week to be a Cardinals fan. And the Cardinals have the easiest schedule remaining in the major leagues. So they should catch the Brewers. If they don't catch them, it's their own fault. Well, the Brewers uh, about an hour ago got rid of Josh Hader, so uh, don't really understand that. No, I have not seen that. Yeah. Well, look, thanks for joining me on the podcast. We'll have more sports podcasts coming up soon, and I'm going to ask my uh, upcoming guest about some uh, stories from his him playing against Mississippi State, just to dig at you a little bit. Well, you should. <laughs> Ask him, was he on the team when y'all had uh, 
What was that coach when you lost to LSU on the Hail Mary? Guy, guy something. Is it Guy Morris? Was that his name, Alex? Uh, I think his name was Guy Morris. He was your head coach when Kentucky. Remember you had Kentucky beat. Yeah, I remember we ran out, uh, had LSU beat. Yeah, had the Hail Mary to uh, Jeffrey Henderson. Yes, I think his name was Guy Morris. But here's what you – Chuck, if your friend – I don't know who you're going to have on here. If he was was on one of the Guy Morris teams, ask him about the time they came to Mississippi State. I've got a friend at Mississippi State who told me this happened. Y'all's just coach was so mad at halftime. I think Guy Morris was his name. He went in the locker room and punched some lockers, did damage. Kentucky had to pay a little money to Mississippi State. Like, broke his hand, did all this kind of stuff to get his team fired up. And guess what? It worked. In the second half, Kentucky came out and whipped us. So it was the best handbreaking they ever was. I think his name, y'all had a punt returner. What was that kid? Abney? Abner? What was that kid's name? You remember the punt returner? He ran two punts back on Mississippi State in the second Derek half. Derek Abney is who you're talking about. Derek Abney was his name. We were ahead of y'all at half, and your coach went in and acted like a fool, broke his hand, did damage, come out in the second half, and uh, I think Jackie Sherrill was still at State, and y'all's just return or return two or maybe three punts for touchdowns. No, he didn't play under uh, Guy Morris. Uh, he was prior to that. So uh, he was in there in the uh, mid-90s. So been okay. under Curry okay. or Mummy, one of those two. Can you believe Kentucky had uh, Adolph Rupp and Bear Bright at the same time? Oh, yeah. That's a point of contention amongst a lot of UK fans that uh, had Bear Bryant and didn't uh, didn't keep him there to make UK's football better. <laughs> oh, just imagine. I mean, it'd be like it'd be like uh, uh, Alabama having Nick Saban and Coach K at the same time. Yep. Well, look, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, we've got more rain on the way here in eastern Kentucky, so we're going to get uh, get prepared for that. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time here on the next move group. We are jobs podcast. Thanks.